0: Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg.
1: And I'm Emily Bosco.
0: Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelves.
1: And we stay toasty in the winter.
0: (laughs) Oh, which has been especially hard to do. today the high was 12 oh. yesterday the high was like 6
1: oh that's brutal that's brutal oh, i'm sorry yeah, it's been rough
0: <laughs> it's been rough
1: um things um, are things are not that bad here in connecticut but they are chilly um but i had a actually bizarre weather experience this weekend because i went to visit a friend in massachusetts And it was that, and I remember this from my time at BU, it was that um, very New England uh, phenomenon of like the first day that the temperature gets over 50 everybody gets really excited and like you see like girls out on the grass in bikinis and like people wearing t-shirts and shorts and so my friend and i were out and about on saturday and it was sunny and it was like 55 like creeping up towards 60 and everybody was very excited but like still in winter clothing because in the morning it had been like 28 degrees then by the nighttime it was cold again and then today when i came to drive back to connecticut just Tons of snow, tons of snow. So I was like, "Um, yeah. I'm scared of global warming." <laughs> yeah, I remember
0: those days growing up. Yeah, um, where <laughs> every fall in Minnesota, the temperature would drop to like 50 degrees and yep. everybody's freaking out about how cold it is. Yep. And every spring, the temperature gets up to 50 degrees and we're at the
1: beach. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Same number, very different reaction.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hi, campers. What's up, listener? How you doing? Hello, hello. Uh, it's good to be back with you this week. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, a day late. That was yesterday as you're listening to this. I oh, hope you enjoyed yeah. Uh, I also hope that back on Sunday, your team won the big game that we're not allowed to say by name because it's copywritten.
1: Oh, really? We can't even say it?
0: No, if like, so I'm about to say and then I had to bleep that out for, <gasps> for copyright reasons.
1: What if I say, like, sports game chalice? Is that okay?
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I that's, the, the, the that's knock, totally fine. The
1: knockoff brand?
0: But it's why so many uh, when when you when you uh, see or hear or whatever ads for the big game um, at like, you oh. know, like the, the pizza place that's offering a special deal or like this much off every time your right. team scores or whatever. They always talk about the big game and it's because they can't say the name of it without <laughs> being sued.
1: That's so funny. I never do that. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, I. um. As little as you can care about sports, I care less than that. So that's that's where I am with the big game. <laughs> but-
0: fair enough, fair enough. I assume that we have listeners who actually know what teams are playing. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely don't this year, which is weird. Ordinarily, <laughs> at least I know who's in the big game. And this year I've been yeah. so out of the loop. I'm just like, I, I totally, I don't even know. Yep. And I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and so many of my friends are in the same boat that I am where it's like, yeah, cool. If it's on, I'll watch, but I don't really follow that. Like I wasn't even getting hints from them. Like none of my friends seem to care enough about what teams are in to have posted. Oh, I hope the whatever win right. today. Um, so,
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what I did do, though? I did eat nachos because I, I like um, big game food. I just don't care about the big game, but I like the socialization aspect and the parties and that, well, you know, COVID. So there were no parties this year, but I, right. I ate the food. So that was good. <laughs> uh,
0: the halftime show is always um, exciting. To oh, that's watch. true. That's true. Whether it's, whether it's good fun. or not, that's half the excitement. It's yeah. like, well, are they yeah. going to be good this year or no, that's so true. But yeah. So, Hey, um, I did this last week and I thought it was fun, whether anyone else did or not. So I'm going to do it again this week. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Monday, February 14th, Monday, as you're listening to this, um, Monday was Valentine's Day. However, on this day in history, February 14th, back in 1929, Sir Alexander Fleming announced his discovery of penicillin.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. Healthy day.
0: Yeah. So that's a big deal. Uh, If you are listening to this episode on the day it drops on Tuesday, February 15th, uh, then you are listening on the anniversary from 1988 of the International Olympic Committee officially recognizing the Special Olympics.
1: Oh, I love it
0: and because i know a lot of our listeners uh don't listen the day the episode drops but they do the the next day on wednesday wednesday february 16th in 1923 on february 16th king tut's tomb was opened
1: oh oh that's fun
0: uh so uh that's this week's little historical fun facts that have nothing to do with uh the story we're reading or with what we do on this podcast generally because this is not a history podcast. This is a literature podcast.
1: Yeah, I, I would say there's overlap, though. These fun facts, you know, you get some cool history in here and you you just love history, so you can't help it.
0: I do. And like, yeah, if you're delving into literature, you're looking at history. I guess technically everything is history yeah. unless you sit around projecting the future. Correct. With no frame of reference to what has come before so your guesses are really just completely wild guesses that have nothing to do with where we've been
1: which would be impossible
0: yeah so in 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 its own way everything is a history something. Everything is connected to history. So I guess this is a history podcast. Yay. But that's not what we call it. Uh this this is a this is a literature podcast. Every week uh we take turns reading short stories, sight unseen to you, our listeners, our dear campers. And uh we try to muddle our way through the story and uh often have to look up words because these stories come from the public domain, which means most of them are pretty old and they use words that are we- were weird and um, yep. they say <laughs> things that weren't penis jokes when they wrote them, but they are now. And um, <laughs> it leads to, um, at the very least, moderate amusement, if not legitimate hilarity. <laughs> I love it.
1: Uh,
0: so this week, uh, Emily has a story for me to read. Yes. Um, but before we get into the story she's got some fun facts to share that will give a little bit of context for what you are about to hear so uh let's hear it
1: yay fun facts all right dear kenneth this week you will be reading a short story by an author that I'm pretty sure is new to the podcast. I do confess I haven't listened to every episode, but I think...
0: Neither have I. That's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were at least present for all of them. I think she is new to the podcast. Um, And unlike many of our recent authors, she's not a guy writing pulp fiction in the 40s or 50s, because that seems to be a trend that we've been on lately.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, they're easy to find.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Kate Chopin. Or if you were in the Mary Kate Nashley movie, it takes two Chopin, Kate Chopin. <laughs> um,
0: uh, all right, I'm not in that movie, so I'll stick with Chopin. But
1: Chopin, it's a great joke though; it's very cute. Um, so Kate Chopin, who I'm pretty sure I couldn't find any relation to the composer Chopin, but I think it must just be a pretty common French last name. I think. Okay. Um, she because she was an American author. And she was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1850. She was born Catherine O'Flaherty, which is the most Irish name ever to be Irish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And her father, Thomas O'Flaherty, immigrated straight from Galway. So very Irish. Which is
0: also a pretty Irish name.
1: Yeah. Thomas Thomas O'Flaherty. Thomas O'Flaherty, yeah. Um, Her mother, Eliza Ferris, was his second wife. And she came from a French-Canadian and a Louisiana Creole background, which will come up later. Um, Oh, so he's, uh,
0: he's, he's branching out. Yeah. He's not, he's not doing the good Irish Catholic boy thing and finding a good Irish girl.
1: Right. Exactly. A little rebellious. So Kate's road to becoming a writer is sort of twisty and turny, but I'm going to try to go through it relatively quickly so early on she's a very big reader it's very much matilda i was actually this way too because the library was free <laughs> and my mom was like what can we do with my kid i'm gonna take her to the library every day and we're gonna get like 13 books and she's gonna read them all <laughs> um awesome which uh yeah, which was great. Good job, Mama. Um, but she <laughs> liked fairy tales, poetry, novels—really anything so that she could get her little hands on. And at five years old, she was sent to the Sacred Heart Academy to learn things like how to handle her money and how to make her own decisions, which I think are very, um, <laughs> really good life skills for a five-year-old. <laughs> how, yeah. to hand- how to handle all her assets, you know, her many assets. <laughs> um, very progress- yeah. very progressive. Very also- progressive. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, that's that's pretty wild for, for, like, they're sending a girl in the, what, 1850s? I know,
1: yeah. To, but, but like, they learn even, how to handle money? Right, exactly. But, but they even thought that was important was pretty remarkable, even though she probably was way too little to absorb any of it. Um, <laughs> but when her dad died, she moved back home with her mother, her grandmother, and her great-grandmother, all of whom had been widowed relatively young and chose not to remarry. So, like, a lot of feminine energy in this house. Uh, which I love. Um, her that great-
0: also, not for nothing, that seems a little suspicious. Like yeah. all of the women in this family tree, like their husbands just mysteriously die, die. Mysteriously die. <laughs> yeah. Mysteriously, and then they never get married again. Listen, I, I
1: don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, her great-grandmother tutored her in French, music, history, gossip, which is literally listed as a separate like subject (laughs) i don't know (laughs) okay taught her how to to spill the tea and quote this was in her great-grandmother's words the need to look on life without fear which that's pretty awesome and that's i think that should be the name of a class at all universities um yeah yeah and so then after two years she goes back to sacred heart academy and she meets her mentor mary o'meara which is another extremely irish name mary, mary O'Meara, o'meara mary o'meara yes. yeah. yeah <laughs> um and she guides kate to in her words write regularly judge herself critically and conduct herself valiantly so she a pretty good mentor Ooh. yeah all right um very lofty ambitions for this girl and then in may 1861 the civil war comes to st louis and during the war her half-brother dies of a fever and her great-grandmother dies as well and after the war her best friend and her best friend's family are banished from st louis for supporting the confederacy so i (laughs) yeah so i'm like i know actually what side kate's family is on but i know she's associating with some confederate sympathizers so i, I really don't know her family's politics but
0: all right but, but either way sure but if specifically her friend's family was booted for supporting the confederacy and hers wasn't
1: right i guess either they were better then, hiding it or they weren't <laughs> yeah yeah at
0: the very least they weren't like Sending money to... Right,
1: exactly. Okay, so she graduates in 1868. So seven years later, after that, she graduates. Okay. She gets married a couple of years later to this guy named Oscar Chopin, where she gets her name,
0: who's... That's the name. Yep.
1: Yeah, who's this reasonably successful broker, and they moved to New Orleans, which like her background is Louisiana Creole, so that makes sense. And then over the next nine years, they have six children. Okay? Ooh. Now, <laughs> I just whoo like i i know that was common for the time period you had a lot you didn't know if they were all going to survive you know whatever but man that makes my body hurt it makes my body hurt <laughs> yeah she
0: whew. so Are that's you? i i'm so she got married like what late 60s early 70s yeah in
1: 1870 she gets married and okay. by 79 she has six children
0: and she was born in, like, 1850, did you say?
1: Mm, let's go back. 1850, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. So she was pregnant for most of her 20s. For, yeah,
1: for, from 20 to 29, <laughs> she was pregnant. Just, just pregnant. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Insane. Oh, God. Ouch. Um, <laughs> I know. Literally, ouch. Um, but, so, in 1879, so after uh, she has had her six children... His brokerage fails, and her husband dies, leaving her $42,000 in debt, which today would be $1.13 million. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. homegirl screwed. So for a while, she's trying to keep this business afloat, and then eventually she sells it. And she does that by, according to, and like... And an an unknown source who I think maybe was just kind of bitter, but he said that she sold this business by, quote, flirting with just about every eligible man in the area. So, you know, good to see good to see that sexism was alive and well in uh, 1879. (laughs) Uh, um, so then she moves back home with this gaggle of children with her mother's financial help, which like, yep, that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> um <laughs> and then
0: half the country is doing right now.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> the shit hits the fan and we all go, mommy, mommy. <laughs> yep. Um, as I record this from my, my childhood bedroom. Um <laughs> and uh a year later, her mom, who she ran home to, dies. So, great. She's not having great luck. (laughs) Poor thing. So then around this time, around 1890, her doctor recommends that she start writing. He probably was like, you're hysterical. Like, writing will help soothe your nerves or whatever. (laughs) And, um... You know, she seems to understandably be having trouble dealing with the loss of her husband, her business, her mother, all these things, and he figured that writing would give her something to focus on, and so her stories start getting picked up a little bit and getting some traction in periodicals, and she was pretty ahead of her time in her writing and was, like, portraying women as like well first of all sexual beings which was really oh a thing um but also like sometimes flawed mothers rather than this like madonna figure and occasionally dabbling in infidelity so (gasps) i know very scandalous i know so her work was critically looked on as like immoral but of course readers eat that up because it's so fun um those are all the best stories So in 1899, she publishes her most famous novel, *The Awakening*, which I feel like everybody kind of had to read in high school at some point. It's a pretty seminal feminist work.
0: I did not. No? Oh, okay. No, that title sounds vaguely familiar, but I've definitely never read it.
1: It's one of those like, lady walks into the ocean stories. Spoiler alert for a 200-year-old book. (laughs) Yeah. Oh.
0: All right. Well, cool. Now I don't have to read it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then she starts getting some interest from like the artsy folks, but she never really makes any significant money from writing. And she dies suddenly at 54 in 1904, which, I mean, seems so young, but I don't know how young it was at the time, but it says suddenly, um... In the 15 years that she had been writing fiction, she produced over 100 short stories and novels, and today she is considered a forerunner of Southern feminist literature. And today, yeah, you will be reading a short story from 1896 of hers entitled A Mental Suggestion. (laughs) I know. All right. Sounds fun. I know. So let's start this fire.
0: A Mental Suggestion by Kate Chopin. Yay! <laughs> when you meet Pauline this morning, she will be charming. She will be quite the most attractive woman in the room, and the only one worthy of your attention and consideration. Okay. <laughs> this was the mental suggestion which Don Graham brought to bear upon his friend, Faverum as the two were making their morning toilet together.
1: (laughs) What? Wait,
0: what? Well, you know how you always go and, and you you always go and pee with your best friend in the morning.
1: Yeah, you go in pairs, but like. Yeah. Okay, okay. So... I, I i was like, that can't mean the same thing, but maybe
0: it does, maybe they're... <laughs> no, I mean, I assume that it-it's, um, making their morning-morning toilet toilette, probably, right, is right. getting ready for the day. Washing your face, brushing your teeth, shaving your- Yeah, Your yeah. stubble, you know, doing the-
1: Your pubes.
0: The, <laughs> yeah, sculpting <laughs> your pubes.
1: Sorry. I had to, I had to, it was right there. All I
0: need now is a girl. Uh, Graham <clears throat> was a college professor, a hard working young fellow with a penchant for psychic research. Ooh. He attended hypnotic seances and thereby had acquired a hypnotic power by no means trifling, which he sometimes exercised with marked success, especially upon his friend Favorum. When Favram, getting up in the morning, discovered that his black sack coat had assumed a vivid scarlet hue, he did not lament the fact or hesitate to put it on and present himself in public wearing so conspicuous a garment. He simply went to the telephone and rang up Graham.
1: Wait, sorry. His black sack coat had assumed a vivid scarlet hue. The coat turned red? Like, all of it? Or... There was like yes. blood, blood
0: on the coat. Uh, uh, I th- I think it's that it has turned red. <laughs> okay,
1: bizarre. Um, yeah. Okay, so he's like, someone dyed my coat.
0: Uh, he okay. simply went to the telephone and rang up Graham. Hello there, you blamed idiot! Stop <laughs> monkeying with my coat. Sometimes the message ran. Hello, this is the second morning I haven't been able to stand my bath. Or, here's my coffee spoiled again by thunder. I want this thing to stop right here. Whereupon a little group of professors at the other end of the phone... I don't know why phone is in quotation marks, but there you have it. Whereupon a little group of professors at the other end of the phone would be moved by a current of gratification hardly to be understood by those who have never known the success of a scientific demonstration. Oh, Favreau's their guinea pig.
1: Wait, yeah, what? <laughs> so, okay, so they're they're doing they're doing experiments on him,
0: and they're yeah. all they're
1: all listening on the other end of the phone.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like it's like a. I mean, it seems to me like they're not scientists so much as a group of frat boys pranking the nerd. Right. <laughs> Favreau himself was not a hard worker. With plenty of money and a good deal of charm, he dispensed both lavishly and was a great favorite with both women and men.
1: Okay, come on now.
0: Good for you, dude. Yeah. Play the field.
1: Come on, pansexual.
0: There was one privilege which he assumed at all times. He persistently avoided people, places, and things which bored him. (laughs) Respect. Yeah. (laughs) One being among others on Earth who thoroughly bored Favorum was Pauline, the fiancee of his friend Graham. Pauline was a brown little body with fluffy <laughs> hair and eyeglasses, possessed of an investigating turn of mind and much energy of manner in the pursuit of mental problems. She went in for art, which she studied with a scientific spirit and acquired by mathematical tabulation. Okay, so she's kind of, she's a nerd. Nerdy, yeah. I'm just picturing Hermione Granger. Oh, love her. <laughs> she was the type of woman that Favram detested.
1: Shocking. Her mental
0: poise was a rebuke to him. Mm-hmm. There was constant rebuff in her lack of the coquettish, the captivating, the feminine. He supposed she and Graham were born for each other, and he could not help feeling sorry for his friend. Needless to say, Favram avoided Pauline, and so far as his instinctive courtesy permitted, snubbed her. Damn. He just doesn't like strong women. Women. Yeah, He's exactly. Afraid of her.
1: Exactly. He's like, I don't like it. She's smarter than me. Oh.
0: <laughs> and she doesn't flirt with me. What's the point? Right. <laughs> He and his friend were down at Cedar Branch, where a number of pleasant and interesting people were spending the month of October. On that particular October Monday morning, Graham was returning to his engagements in the city, and Favram meant to stay on at the branch so long as he could do so without being bored. There were a number of jolly, congenial girls who contributed somewhat to his entertainment, and besides, the fishing was good. So worth a bathing and di- uh, so worth a bathing and driving.
1: <laughs> this guy sounds All like right. he's, he's suffering from a bit of ennui. This is very French.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's uh, just
1: so bored by life. Oh.
0: <laughs> but he's got girls and fishing and yeah. swimming and driving.
1: And he's going to go with Grandma Pauline, right? No,
0: he's he's planning to stay where he is so long as the girls stay hot and the fish keep biting.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like, the, the, like uh, the, the verse to a country song. I'm going to stay where I am so long as the girls stay hot and the fish keep biting. <laughs> it's very catchy.
0: Shit. <laughs> now I have to write that song. Now you do. All right. Uh... I'll try to have it done by next week's episode. We'll see.
1: I'll edit this one so you can go write, so you can go write
0: the song. <laughs> As Graham stood before the mirror, tying his cravat, the disturbing thought came to him that his little Pauline would have a dreary time during his two weeks absence. With the exception of a German lady who collected butterflies and stuck pins through them, there was not a thoroughly congenial soul to keep her company. Oh, Graham's going back to the city. Favrum and Pauline are going to be left out in the country.
1: Oh.
0: And, uh, and he's worried that Pauline's not going to have anyone to keep her company because Favrum is just going to be chasing the other girls and going fishing. And,
1: oh, okay.
0: This is a ju- juicy setup. And there's apparently an old German lady who, um, Kills butterflies for fun.
1: I hope you get to do her. Her 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 voice, not her.
0: Her voice. Well, if she was old in 1886, um,
1: oh, everyone, Ken's ageist. Cancel him. Cancel him.
0: She's gonna be. She's gonna be a hundred and eighty at this point.
1: Ageism.
0: Ageism. No, close to two hundred (laughs) probably. Oh, well, I just don't want to break her hips. Um.
1: Snap, we're getting raunchy.
0: Ooh, he's getting raunchy. There was not a thoroughly congenial soul to keep her company. Graham thought of the driving, the sailing, the dancing, in all of which Favram was the leading and moving spirit and the temptation would convert Pauline from the object of indifference in Favram's eyes to a captivating young woman. Mm. Under some pretext, he approached and laid his hand upon Favram, who was lacing his boot. When you meet Pauline this morning at breakfast, she will be charming. She will be quite the most attractive woman in the room, and the only one worthy of your attention and consideration.
1: Mm.
0: Oh dear! We
1: go. I am
0: seeing, I am seeing the future and watching this backfire spectacularly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I don't think this was a wise trip for him to make. Oops. No, everything's gonna be great. everything's gonna really smoothly. That's why it's a
0: story. That's why it's a story because it'd be worth telling if everything went exactly as planned.
1: Yeah,
0: they fished and all was very the end. And then Graham came back, and there definitely wasn't any trouble between him and his fiance who he just threw his best friend at.
1: <laughs> oh God his, his
0: his charming athletic best friend. Who likes to go dancing. Oh, boy. Uh. There were a number of people assembled in the large dining room where Graham and Favram entered. Some were already seated while others were standing, chatting in small groups. Pauline was near a window reading a letter absorbed in its contents, which she hastened to communicate to her friend after a hurried and absent-minded greeting. The letter was from an art dealer and all about a certain example of early Flemish, which he had obtained for her. <laughs> Pauline was collecting facsimiles of the various schools and periods of painting with the precision and exactitude which characterized all her efforts. Cool, so she's got a lead on a new painting. Yeah. The acquisition of this bit of early Flemish, which she had been pursuing with unusual activity, settled her into a comfortable condition of mind. Graham sat beside her, and they brought their heads together and chatted psychology and art over their oatmeal. Favorum sat opposite. He kept looking at her. He was talking to the tennis girl next to him and listening to Pauline.
1: <laughs> quite, Quite the multitasker.
0: "'Miss Edmonds,' he said abruptly, leaning forward so as to arrest her attention, "'you must have Graham bring you around to my apartments when we're all in town again. "'I have a few pieces by the Glasgow men, which I picked up last summer in Scotland, "'and a bit of Persian tapestry that seems like a Hornell with the colour toned down. "'Perhaps you would like to look at them?' Pauline flushed with surprise and pleasure. The tennis girl drew back and stared at him. The <laughs> golf girl threw a pellet of bread at him from the far end of the table, and Graham smiled and chuckled inwardly and took some mental notes.
1: <laughs> what is so scandalous that it stops the whole table? about him being like, come look at my art. Or is it that he invited her to his apartment?
0: Well, I think it's that these other girls have been, like, hanging out with him and, like, flirting and doing all this stuff, and he's been ignoring Pauline, and then all of a sudden, it's, hey, Pauline, you should come back to my place.
1: Got it, got it. And they're all like, I've been putting in the work, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Got it.
0: Favram maintained a lively conversation with Pauline across the table during the entire repast while inwardly he was thinking... "'How wonderfully that soft brown suits her complexion and eyes! "'And what very sweet eyes she has behind those glasses! "'What depth! "'What animation! "'Could anything be more captivating than that unstudied, spontaneous manner? "'And what a bright intelligence! "'By Jove, it puts a fellow on his mettle!' Graham had reason to congratulate himself upon the success of his experiment.
1: (laughs) Wait, I don't, uh, does Graham want him to get a crush on his own fiance? Just so that she would be bored when he's gone?
0: (laughs) I think what he wants is just for them to get along. Okay, okay. Like, he's trying to get his friend to like his fiance so that he'll hang out with her.
1: Yeah, they're going to get along all right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this would be, this would be the. Uh, I can't, I can't see anything possibly going wrong with this. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Great was his astonishment, however, upon leaving the table to see Favreau saunter away in company with the tennis girl, evincing no particle of further interest in Pauline. How is this? Thinks Graham. Aha! To be sure, I suggested that he think Pauline charming and captivating when he met her at breakfast. I must renew and qualify the suggestion.
1: You really must, you really mustn't.
0: No. Yeah, that, you don't that, need you to. Don't do need that. to. No. <laughs> when he went away carrying his valise and things, Pauline accompanied him to the gate, which was a good stretch from the big rambling house. He maintained a peculiar and rigid silence as they strolled down the gravel path that was already covered with fallen leaves. Pauline looked questioningly up at him. I wish, dear, he said, you would abandon your thought to me. Project all your mental energy into mine and let it follow and help the direction of my suggestion. The golf, uh, the golf girl might have doubted the sanity of such a speech, not Pauline. Mm-hmm. She was used to him. As he withdrew to go and shake hands with Favorum, who was nearby, she converted her mind, as far as she was able, into a vacuous blank, abandoning it to his intention. The mental suggestion, which Graham rapidly formulated as he held Favorum's hand, ran somewhat in this wise Pauline is charming, intelligent, Honest, sincere, she has depths in her nature that are worth sounding. He and the girl then walked silently together down to the gate and parted there with a mute pressure of hands. He looked back as he went down the road. Pauline had turned and was regaining the house. Favram had abandoned his tennis group and was crossing the lawn to join her. Graham took some fresh mental notes and patted himself, metaphorically, upon the back.
1: (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Pauline Pauline has depths that are worth sounding, okay? Yep. Does sounding have an alternate... Um, Okay, how do I say this? We might have to cut this out. We might have to cut this out, Ken.
0: It's a boinking metaphor.
1: It's for sure a boinking metaphor, right? Because the way that I'm sounding uh, something going into something else.
0: Yeah. Um. So what the listeners did not get to hear <laughs> no. was the delightful little hand gesture that accompanied. <laughs> oh. This is too <laughs> crude and rude. Okay. 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 So. So that but, is a but yes. metaphor. But but <laughs> yes. Um it's uh well here, let's look it yeah, up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do that. <laughs> okay, to measure the depth of. Got it. Yeah. To probe. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. To explore or examine a body cavity with a sound. <laughs> so like, hello, 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 hello. Yeah. <laughs> just shouting into it. <laughs>
0: just 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 open it up and yell in.
1: Okay, great, is... great, great. Yeah. Okay, carry on. Sorry for my uh juvenile uh <laughs> I just was like, this can't just be me, right?
0: It is also, I believe, a um particular sexual kink sounding.
1: That is what I was referring to. Um yes. it, it,
0: it, with the Yeah, there's that too.
1: Trigger <laughs> trick. trick. Content warning for listeners. that's, <laughs> that's it's what I was trying not to say by doing the hand gesture, but yeah, that's
0: what I, that's how I know the word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So listener, if you don't already know what it is, it is a uh, thing that you can probably find porn of, and you probably shouldn't Google mm. sexual sounding without like the, mm-hmm. what is it? The, the, like, um safe search or incognito search or whatever it, yeah. like the, the one that isn't going to screw up your your
1: yeah google algorithm or like try urban dictionary <clears throat> first if you're really curious and if the yeah. words on the page are too upsetting don't google it
0: <laughs> yeah you, you don't you don't accidentally want to see that video
1: no but anyway okay to measure the depths of something got it we're learning something new every day
0: part two in a letter, which Pauline wrote a few days later to Graham, she said, I have not yet begun my notes on the Renaissance, and I should have finished them by now. I deserved a scolding and hope you will spare me.
1: Oh, is, oh you're
0: such a naughty little girl. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> the truth is, I have been an idle girl, and oh. I am quite ashamed of myself. Oh. You must have asked your friend, Mr. Faverham, to pay me a little attention. Were you afraid I should be bored? It was a misdirected kindness, dear, for he causes me to waste much time. He wanted to read Tennyson to me this morning out under the big maple when I had gone to begin those everlasting notes. I prevailed upon him to substitute Browning. I had to save something from this wreck of time. He is a delightful reader. His voice is mellow and withal intelligent, not merely musical. He was amazed at the beauty, the insight, the philosophy of our dear Browning. Where have you been? I asked him in some surprise. Oh, in good company, he avowed. But will you take me on a voyage of discovery and make me acquainted with the immortals? But enough. If you have not yet seen... Lil, Lilienthal about the Tintoretto. I'm guessing Lilienthal is her friend and the Tintoretto is the um uh uh what you call it the the Flemish the
1: uh, painting. Yeah yeah yeah. Oh boy, she's um, distracted by this uh this guy who wants to just read poetry to her all day under the trees.
0: Yeah, also apparently I gave uh I gave Favreau the wrong voice. I made him sort of very forward and kind of up here. And it was very aggressive, but it sounds like he's got um, more beauty and musicality to his voice. So I'll try, I'll I'll try to uh, incorporate that as the story goes on. Yeah.
1: Turn up the sexy,
0: sexy. Yeah. (laughs) After a short interval, she wrote, I am growing frivolous. I positively danced last night. You did not know I could dance? Oh, but I can, for I learned some pretty steps two winters ago when our manners and customs class took up the history of dance. It was a week later that she said in a letter, I am distrustful of pleasures and emotions which reach... Wow, that's a hard combination of words to say. (laughs) I am distrustful of pleasures and emotions which reach one through other than intellectual channels. I received a singular impression a night or two ago. The evening was warm for October, and as there was a big bright moon shining, Mr. Favram, who had taken me for a sail, ventured to remain out longer than his usual hour for turning in. It was very late and very still. There was not a sound but the lapping of little wavelets as the boat cut through the water and the occasional flapping of the sail. The aromatic odor of the pines and firs wafted to us from the shore was very acute, I some way felt as if I were some other one living in some other age and some other place. Mm. All that has heretofore made up the substance of my life seemed far away and unreal. All thought, ambition, energy had left me. I wanted to stay there forever upon the water, drifting, Mm -hmm. drifting along, Mm -hmm. not caring. Mm. I... Mm. Recognize that the whole experience was sensuous, mm. and therefore to be mistrusted.
1: Mm, yes, girl. Yes, girl. Live, live <laughs> this fantasy. Live it. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous.
0: But she is saying explicitly that she doesn't trust it.
1: True. True. Should
0: because be it's all carried it's away. It's all like she she's getting carried away, but she's acknowledging she's getting carried away. Because it's all emotion and she can't, like, she can't find an intellectual reason for it.
1: Very true. She's a very pragmatic girl.
0: Near the end of the two weeks, there was a queer rambling little note that seemed to Graham wholly out of character and irrelevant. You are staying away very long. I feel that I need you to interpret me to myself, if for nothing else. I fear there are forces in life against which the intellectual training makes no provision. (laughs) Why are we placed at the mercy of emotions? What are the books for, after all, if we can snatch from them no weapon with which to meet and combat unsuspected and undreamed of subtleties of existence? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Come back and help me disentangle it all. Graham was puzzled and uneasy.
1: Oh, Graham, you should be.
0: Dude. Dude. Dude, you you did this to yourself. Yeah, you did this. And to them, but they seem happy.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: Part three. He returned to the branch with the full intention of reclaiming his own. He was gratified with the success of his experiment, which at the same time had been the means of procuring for Pauline a period of diversion such as he believed would benefit her. His intention was to remove the suggestion he had put upon Favrum when everything would, of course, be as it was before.
1: Wait, did he, like, hypnotize him?
0: Yeah, that's what the mental suggestion was. Uh.
1: I mean, I thought. I guess I just thought that it was like an unspoken, like I don't know. He could like read his mind, or that he had said that to him, but he actually like put a spell on him. Yes. Um,
0: oh, Yeah. Because okay. that's, that's that's what he said at the know beginning, the story right? Was Is like that mystical? Okay, I got. it. Well, it's it's sort of <laughs> that m- mystical scientific that um that people believed in a lot more in the nineteenth century, right? Got it. Where yeah. it's like there's this certainly there is um science to back up a belief in the power of hypnotism like um it's i've never had it done to me myself but i know people who have gone to like a stage hypnotist or um used hypnotism as a type of therapy or whatever. And and they swear that like, nah, like I I went under and I suddenly don't remember. Like I didn't remember what I was doing, but when I came out of it, I felt this thing. I felt that thing. I suddenly remembered this. I suddenly felt that way. Um this is just kind of taking it to the next level. At the beginning it said he'd he'd gone to classes on hypnotism and he was playing with the ability to make mental suggestions to another person. Right,
1: right, 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 right. Okay. Got it. I guess so I thought he was what, like a psychologist, which like maybe he is, but I I, I gotcha.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah, he he basically, as he shook his friend's hand, he he sent a yeah telepathic suggestion to him saying, "My fiance is incredible. You should think so too." Yeah, and oh. it worked.
1: Oh, well, he does. <laughs> 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 okay, got it.
0: Sorry, Uh, listener, if
1: you figured that out a long time ago. I feel silly, but I don't know. Maybe someone was confused like me. (laughs) This is for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. When we ask questions on this podcast, it's not because there's anything we don't understand. We, on the recording end of this podcast, are all-knowing and infallible. We just pretend to not understand things Mm -hmm. so that you, the listener, can follow along more easily.
1: A stunning performance by me. The best acting I've ever done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If his love for the girl had been of the blind, passionate, exacting sort, perhaps he would have done so, even against the odds of changed conditions which met him. "'It may be a passing infatuation,' she admitted with pathetic frankness. "'I do not know. I have never felt anything like it before.' If you wish, if you think it best and wisest to hold me to my promise, you will find me ready to fulfill it. But as things are now, I must tell you that my whole temperament seems to have undergone a change. I, I sometimes... Oh, I love him. <laughs> she did not hide her face upon reaching the climax of her confession, wow. as most girls would have done.
1: Wow, wow. Well, you Man, know, right there a, in front of him? It's a vulnerable thing, you know? Sometimes you just gotta <laughs> hide. <laughs> but, no, but in the middle said, of
0: conversation?
1: She said, Look right into my eyes.
0: <laughs> Look at me. Look at me while I do this. <laughs> they were sitting under the big maple tree where Favrum had read Browning to her, and the day was already beginning to fade. There was a light in her face that he had never seen there before, a glow such as he had never been able to kindle, whose source lay deeper in her soul than he had ever reached. He took her small hand and stroked it quietly. His own hands were cold and moist. Sorry for that word, listeners.
1: You know, I never get that, why people have, don't like the word moist. I like it.
0: Uh, It's very descriptive, very appropriate. Like, not always is it super appropriate, but like there are things that that it's the only word that works for.
1: Sure, a moist cake, right? Right, a nice, ooh, delicious.
0: Because what's the closest? What's the closest uh, uh, similar word? Right, you're not going to say like a
1: a soggy cake, a wet, cake. a soggy
0: cake. Yeah, yeah, a damp cake, saturated cake.
1: (laughs) Hell. clammy cake
0: unless it's clam cake which is probably a thing
1: oh no I don't want
0: that he said nothing except you are quite free dear entirely free from any promise to me don't bother don't mind in the least he might have said much more but it did not seem to him worthwhile He was letting go of things as he sat there so quietly, of some hopes, a few plans, pictures, intentions, and his whole being was undergoing the wrench of separation.
1: Oh no, but he knows it's not real.
0: Well, it is for her.
1: Oh no, he was really foist by his own petard here.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he didn't do anything to her.
1: This is so sad. (laughs)
0: We're going to see where it goes. Okay,
1: yeah, continue.
0: She said nothing. Love is selfish. Mm. She was tasting the exaltation of liberty and shrank from inflicting the panacea of conventional phrase or utterance upon a wounded soul. There were more things than one to trouble Graham. How had his suggestion held, and how would it hold? There was no doubt that Favram was still under the influence of the spell as Graham detected at once upon first meeting him. The suggestion seemed to have got beyond the professor's control. He shuddered to think of the consequences, yet no course presented itself to him as acceptable but one of inactivity. There was nothing to do but hold off and let the experiment work itself out as it would— Favorum said to him that night, "'I'm going away in the morning, old fellow. "'I'm a devilish nice sort of friend, if you only knew it. "'Spare me the shame of explaining. "'When we meet again in town, "'I hope I shall have pulled myself sufficiently together "'to understand a certain aberration of mind or morals or, or... "'Hang me if I know what I'm talking about.' I'm leaving in the morning myself, returned Graham. I may as well tell you that Pauline and I have discovered that we are not of that singleness of thought and that oneness of heart which offer the traditional pretext for two beings to cast their lots in common. We might go up to town together in the morning, if you like. Okay. Part four. Oh boy. A few months later, Favram and Pauline were married. (gasps) Their marriage seemed to mark the culmination of a certain torturous doubt that possessed itself of the young professor and rendered his days intolerable. If, if, if kept buzzing in his brain during hours of work while he walked or rested or read even throughout the night when he slept. He remembered Favreau's former dislike for the woman he had married. He realized that the aversion had been dispelled by means of a force whose limitations were as yet unknown, of whose possibilities he himself was wholly ignorant, and whose subtleties were beyond the control of his capacity. How long will the suggestion hold? This was the thought which preyed upon him. Mm. What if Favram should awake some morning detesting the woman at his side? What Mm. if his infatuation should fade by degrees, imperceptibly leaving her wrecked, stripped, and shivering to feed upon bitterness till the end of her days? Oh my god. He visited them often during the first months of their marriage. People who knew them said their union was an ideal one, and for once, people were right. Unconscious impulses were tempering, acting, counteracting each other, inevitably working towards the molding of these two into the ideal one of the poet's dreams." Graham, when he was with them, watched them stealthily, with a certain cat-like intensity which, had they been less occupied with each other, they might have noticed and resented. (laughs) It was always with a temporary relief he quitted them, a feeling of thankfulness that the lighted fuse had not yet reached the dynamite in the cellar. But the torture of uncertainty became almost unbearable, and once or twice he went to them with the full intention of removing the suggestion, to see what would happen, to have it done with. But the sight of their content, their mutual sympathy, palsied his resolution. And he left as he had gone to them, the prey of doubt and sharp uneasiness.
1: Oh, I mean, it's kind of nice that he won't undo it. I don't know. He just wants Pauline to be happy.
0: He wants Pauline to be happy, but he's worried that like the longer he leaves it, the harder it's going to be if and when it wears out.
1: Right. Of course. But isn't this the gamble with every marriage, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to hitch myself to this person forever. (laughs) Hope we still like each other in 80 years. It's kind of crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But beautiful.
0: One day Graham reasoned it all out with himself. The state of worry in which he lived had become unbearable. He determined to that evening remove the suggestion which he had fixed upon Favrum six months before.
1: Oh well, this was a quick the, this was a quick courtship.
0: <laughs> yeah, although sort of on par for the time.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: You know, back in the day, courtships moved faster.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: And certainly, even today, there are people who are like, yep. Yep, oh, we totally. met We met, and we were married eight days later. Like yeah, that that's happens. true. <laughs>
1: that's very true.
0: If he found that he could do so, then it would easily follow that he could again renew it if he thought best. But Ooh. if the disillusion had to come finally to Favrum, why not have it come now at once at the outset of their married life before Pauline had too firmly taken the habit of loving and while he Graham might still hold enough of the old influence to offer a balm to her intellect and her imagination if not to her heart
1: oh you playing a long Graham,
0: game you playing a long game yep i'm gonna break them up and hope that she'll come running back to me it's a twisted long game
1: yeah uh, well, it was just. Why did he gamble with his own happiness to begin with? Like, if he's if he's learning hypnotism, why not be like, I'm gonna hypnotize. I don't know, like my cousin to wear, you know, only blue suits for a year. Like, why would he? I guess because he wanted her to have someone to hang out with. Yeah, but he was he was still. trying to kill two
0: birds with one stone, and Oy. because Favrum is his favorite little guinea pig, because he's
1: yeah.
0: a twisted bastard. Oh my god. Okay. Graham, that night, realized more keenly than ever the change which Pauline had undergone. He looked at her often as they sat at table, unable to define what was yet so apparent. She was a pretty woman now. There was a color in her face whose contour was softened and embellished by a peculiarly happy arrangement of her brown hair. Oh. The- The Ponce Nez, which she had substituted for the rather formidable spectacles, while depriving her face somewhat of its former student air, lent it a piquancy that was very attractive. Her gown was rich as her husband's purse could buy, and its colors were marvelously soft, indefinable, harmonious, making of the garment a distinct part of herself and her surroundings. Graham seemed to take his place and fit into this small menage as an essential and valued part of it. He certainly felt in no trifling degree responsible for its existence. That night, he felt like some patriarch of old about to immolate a cherished object upon the altar of science, a victim to the insatiable god of the inevitable.
1: Oh, that's a great sentence. Well done, Pete.
0: Well done. Good writer. Yeah.
1: Oof. Immolate a cherished object upon the altar of science. I love that.
0: Ooh. It was not during that pleasant moment of dining, but later in the evening that Graham chose to tempt once more the power which he had played with and which, like some venomous unknown reptile, had stung and wounded him. They sat drowsily before the remnant of a wood fire that had spent itself and glowed now and flamed fitfully. Favorum had been reading aloud by the light of a single lamp, soft lines whose beauty had melted and entered into their souls like an ointment, soothing them to inward contemplation rather than moving them to speech and wordly discussion. Mm. The book yet hung from his hand as he stared into the glow of embers. There was a flurry of rain beating against the window panes. Graham, buried in the cushioned depths of an armchair, gazed at Favorum. Pauline had arisen, and she walked slowly to and fro in the apartment, her garments making a soft, pleasant rustle as she moved in and out of the shadows. Graham felt that the moment had come. He arose and went towards the lamp to light the cigar which he took from his pocket. As he stood beside the table, he rested a hand carelessly upon the shoulder of his friend. Pauline is the woman she was six months ago. She is not charming or attractive, he suggested silently. Pauline is not the woman she was six months ago when she first went to Cedar Branch.
1: So he's like she's not the woman she was when you first fell in love with her she's right, the woman yeah. just before that moment yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah she's she's the woman from six months and a day ago yeah not from not, six months not ago. six
1: yeah. months ago exactly this feels to me like a um like in harry potter when he when he says diagonally instead of diagon alley i'm like i feel like it needs to be a yeah. little more specific or the spell is gonna go awry again but
0: <laughs> ah yes so uh graham said that silently "'and then lit his cigar at the lamp and returned to his chair in the shadow. "'Favram shivered as if a cold breath had swept by him "'and drew his lounge a little nearer the fire. "'He turned his head and looked at his wife as she passed in her slow walk. "'Again he gazed into the fire, then restlessly back at his wife, over and over.' Graham kept his eyes fixed upon him, silently repeating the suggestion. Suddenly, Favram arose, letting the book fall unnoticed to the floor. Impetuously, he approached his wife and taking her in his arms as if he had been alone with her, he held her close. While passionately, almost rudely, he kissed her flushed and startled face over and over, hungrily. She was panting and red with confusion and annoyance when he finally released her from his ardent embrace. Polly, Polly, he entreated, forgive me for she went and hid her face in the cushion of the chair. Don't mind, dearest. Graham knows how much I love you. He turned and walked toward the fire. He was agitated and passed his hand in an unmeaning fashion across his forehead. I don't know when I've made such an ass of myself, he said, apologetically in a low tone to Graham. I hope you'll forgive the tactless display of emotion. The truth is, I feel hardly responsible for it myself, more as if I had obeyed some imperative impulse driving me to an emphatic expression. I admit it was ill timed, he laughed. Overmastering love is my only excuse. Graham did not stay much longer. A sense of relief, release, was overpowering him, but he was baffled. He wanted to be alone, to puzzle the phenomenon out according to his lights. He did not lift his umbrella, but rather welcomed the dash of rain in his face as he strode along the glistening pavement. There was a good bit of a walk before him, and it was only towards the end of it, when the rain had stopped and a few little stars were blinking down on him, that the truth finally dawned. He remembered that six months ago he had suggested to Favrum that Pauline was charming, captivating, intelligent, honest, worthy of study. But what of love? He had said nothing of that. Love had come unbidden, without a will-you-or-by-your-leave, and there was love in possession, holding its own against any power of the universe. It was, indeed, a great illumination to Graham. He gave rein to his imagination, recalling Favorum's singular actions under the last hypnotic suggestion— He hugged the fancy that the two forces, love and imperative suggestion, had waged a short, fierce conflict within the man's subconscious, and love had triumphed. He positively believed this. Graham looked up at the little winking stars, and they looked down at him. He bowed in acknowledgement to the supremacy of the moving power which is love, which is life. The end.
1: Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad I picked this one. A little post-Valentine's love treat.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was um, much more Valentine's appropriate than the um, heart-eating cannibals from last week.
1: Yeah, we really should have. We should have flipped weeks, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got us on the other end. I, I found some yeah. romantic content. I'm so happy. I didn't think it was going to be that romantic
0: oh yeah well i mean that's the the, this is that's the 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 gamble we always get when we choose these stories kind of sight unseen (laughs) is we can we can have a decent idea of like what the genre is going to be yeah beyond that i mean when
1: there's such it's such a fun you know i mean i think there's like there's a cynical way to read it but in this moment i guess i'm just feeling all warm and fuzzy and i like the conceit that there's like there's like logical reasons to love someone such as like uh, they are funny they are intelligent they are attractive they are charming all these things which are like the things that he put in his brain with the suggestion but the fact that like he loves her not because she's smart not because of this or because of that he just loves her like and there's no there's no explanation for it it just exists in spite of you know, that she might not be the most intelligent or the most, you know, punctual or whatever the positive attribute is. I just think that's so sweet.
0: Yeah. And not to say that she's not
1: those things, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and that it wasn't the suggestion that, like, that's, that's that thing of, like, the wording really matters that you were talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, Because it's his suggestion had did, did not directly cause him right. to fall in love. All exactly. his suggestion was, was, hey, give her a chance.
1: Right. And then he didn't actually get to know her. Right. He didn't actually need the suggestion. Ultimately he needed it. He needed the suggestion to like give her the time of day. But once he knew her, when you take the suggestion away, the love was still there. Cause like, it was just so cute. Oh, yeah. Feel bad
0: for Graham. Screwed up, dude. I
1: know. But you know what? He, he traded love for this very like, I mean, this responsibility and this power that he needs to wield smartly because he yeah, can right. control people with his mind, which is pretty great. But also I'm like, watch out with this. <laughs> watch out. <laughs> but, you know, he'll be okay.
0: Um, like uh, in Firefly, uh, River, she's one of my favorite lines, mm-hmm. favorite moments is she, I, can't, I don't even remember who she's talking to. Yeah. It's sort of in jest, but whoever it is, she looks up and she's like, I can kill you with my mind.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> oh, I'm. Oh man, I missed it. Oh, I missed it because on Facebook you can only you can only see like an on this day anniversary post, right? Like, I, I can't. Believe. Oh, I wish I could like search by day because one Valentine's Day, I posted a, a Photoshop. Picture of Malin and Inara, and my face is on Inara's face, and it just says like something like "spending a quiet night in with my boyfriend." <laughs> Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day! <laughs> and I posted it like several Valentine's days in a row. I wish I had thought to do it this year, but I missed it. Well,
0: <laughs> it well except you didn't because as of when this episode drops, Valentine's Day was yesterday, but Valentine's Day yeah, is actually tomorrow. Oh huh? yeah, so you still can.
1: Oh my god! But okay, you maybe need to cut this out. Are we not talking to them in a time machine, like as if? Are we not talking to them on the fifteenth?
0: Yes and no. Like oh, okay, I okay. always acknowledge. I, okay, like, okay, I okay. acknowledge I mean, like I fully acknowledge because it's like you know I, as of the day we're recording like, this. We're
1: in the time machine, like that hasn't happened yet or whatever. Okay, whatever.
0: Oh yeah, no no no. I I mean I don't. We. Yeah. I, I, I. This podcast plays fast and loose with its own rules. True. True. <laughs> cool. Um. So yeah, so there's still time to do that.
1: That's true. I got to do it. I'm going to find it. Yeah. I don't know. You might have to cut all that out because I got confused. Now I don't know what day we're on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So um, I don't know how much of that last conversation I edited out, listener, but uh, uh, Emily got confused about what day it was, um, is the short (laughs) version of the story. Because podcasting is weird (laughs) because I'm talking to you right now sometime on or after February 15th, except that I'm recording this several days before then, and that gets weird. It's hard <laughs> to... Because, like, you already know who won the s- but for me, it hasn't happened yet.
1: Well, also...
0: Shit, the big game. I meant the big game.
1: Oh, you can't use that either. Cut this whole thing, all of it. and Cut it all. Cut it all. Okay, we're just going to go from... <laughs> we're going to go from... um. You're gonna, we're gonna keep the conceit as the 15th, and you're gonna cut it after like, oh man, I missed putting that funny picture of Valentine's Day. Okay, cut it all until right now. Yay! What a fun story. And then story. she didn't
0: say anything. <laughs> well, you... Oh no, this is all staying in. No This is all no, staying in. I mean, I'm gonna cut not. out some. I'm gonna cut out no. some of the dead air. No, don't
1: embarrass me like that. <laughs>
0: Please, nobody listens this deep into the episode. Nobody listens this deep sake, into the episode. For your sake
1: and mine, I hope that's not true.
0: <laughs> well, so the reason I'm saying that is because I figure um, this way, if the people who are listening this deep into the episode will decide they have to prove me wrong by when they message us this week, when when you message the podcast this week, um, either on our social media, searching for Campfire Classics, or through our uh, email address at 5050ArtsProduction at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the story. Uh, let me know if you have any sort of general thoughts or feelings about either Valentine's Day or the big game or um, <laughs> TM, the
1: m- big game, m- TM,
0: Miss Kate Chopin, or anything else. But also use this week's secret passcode, which is embarrassing moment.
1: Yay. And that will let
0: me know that you made it this deep into the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I I really don't even know why I'm embarrassed, actually. I don't know. I just
0: got ah. confused. <laughs> <laughs> it what was, it was right? just confusing. Uh, yeah. So I think that's it. Um, All right. Uh, you got anything else to say before we sign off?
1: No, I'm almost done with my puzzle, you guys. Almost.
0: It's really Ooh. exciting,
1: but I am really convinced because there are few enough pieces left now that I have them like all spread out next to the almost fully finished puzzle. And there's one piece of this one that I, I just don't see it anywhere. I'm pretty convinced I've lost a piece. But I did originally buy the puzzle with a gift card. So I haven't I technically have not spent any money on this puzzle. So I might be that lunatic who buys the puzzle again and then sifts through the pieces for the one piece I'm missing. Just so I can finish the puzzle.
0: Um, yeah, that definitely does not seem like a massive waste of time. <laughs>
1: no, well, you know what's a massive waste of time is spending weeks on a puzzle and then not being able to finish it because you don't have one piece. I'm not gonna do that.
0: <laughs> all right I'm finishing this puzzle. Come help come do help it. our
1: high water. So all right.
0: Well, we all look forward to uh, to a picture of the completed puzzle.
1: Thank you. Yes. One way or another, yeah. I will I will complete this puzzle. All right. It's riveting. I'll keep you updated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, thank you so much for tuning in, listeners. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf.